0: Welcome to Happy Hunters. We're your hosts, Jonathan and Molly. Today's interview is with Jean Golden, who overcame childhood trauma and addiction to build a beautiful life filled with love, light, and family.
1: I mean, I had all that external success, but yet I would come home and still feel that something was missing. What I have discovered in the course of my life was that what was missing was real authenticity.
0: We just want to take a moment to tell you how much we love one of our sponsors, Nature's Head Composting Toilet.
2: When we renovated the bathroom in the camper, we got rid of our old flush toilet and made the switch to a composting one and could not be happier.
0: I did have some reservations at first, but Nature's Head has thought of everything. With minimal parts and easy assembly, installation was super simple and when it comes to emptying, it is a breeze. Plus, there is no odor.
2: With all the time we spend outside, we know that each small action makes a big difference. So my favorite part of using a composting toilet is how it's waterless. Did you know that the average toilet uses three and a half gallons of water per flush? Just think of how many gallons a day that is. Our composting toilet helps us conserve water, and it's so easy to use.
0: We actually purchased our toilet months before Nature's Head composting toilet was even a sponsor. For more information, go to natureshead.net.
2: That's natureshead.net to get yours today. Today's episode features Jean Golden, a woman who lived isolated and unfulfilled despite tons of outwardly success. Jean describes life before and during addiction as living on a desert island and now describes her happiness as being able to enjoy human connection. She learned to accept her past and move forward with the knowledge that her happiness is a choice and a decision she must make daily, if not multiple times a day. Hi, Jean. Welcome. Hi, Molly. (laughs) We invited you here to Happy Hunters because we are so inspired by your strength in overcoming challenging situations and having the best possible outlook on life. You have triumphed over addiction to find happiness and human connection. I am inspired by your strength and resilience, your ability to stay true to yourself, and your faith in all people's ability to find happiness. We're just so excited you're on the podcast today. Oh, my God, I'm a
1: saint. You are.
2: <laughs> That's how we'll be painting you today. Oh, boy. No, don't worry. Zero pressure. You can totally be human and yourself. Okay. <laughs> so you had a very tough childhood and ultimately ended up in addiction. You mm-hmm. have been in recovery for quite some time now. What were you looking for in drugs and did you find it?
1: Oh, well, you know what they say in uh, recovery, you know, we're trying to fill the hole in our soul. And boy, did I have a big one. You know, when you grow up without a sense of being loved or regarded in any way, really, that creates a mighty big hole. And when you're young, you have no idea that there are options on how to fill that. And I reached for the only, essentially the only option I felt I had, which was to smoke a joint, and it was instantaneous, Molly. I mean, the second I smoked that joint, I knew I was, what I thought at the time, happy. It was as much a miracle as recovery has been to me in the later part of my life. That You know, those drugs filled that hole in my soul, and they worked. And I'm, I know today that
2: they were, that's what kept me alive. What was the hole you were trying to fill? The hole in the soul, was it self-esteem? Was it love? Was it connection? Was it community? Was it all of it?
1: When, you, when you're a child and you don't get unconditional love, you don't have a sense of self. Unconditional love is what gives us a sense of self because we see who we are through the eyes of that giver of unconditional love. We see without judgment. We see without criticism. And that allows us to be our authentic selves. Not everybody gets that un- unconditional love. And in fact, my experience tells me that a lot of us don't get it. And that results in a terrible loneliness. And I, I would describe that hold in my soul as a sense of abject loneliness, utter loneliness, But I did not know myself. I did not know who I was. I have developed the capacity for that feeling of completeness without the use of drugs. But it took me a very long time and a very long time even after I stopped use.
2: So before drugs, there was this loneliness and possibly even during the addiction, you described it as living on a desert island, being isolated and separate. But... When I asked you what you describe happiness as, you described it as the exact opposite, as human connection. What bridge did you build to bring you to that happiness of human connection? What did it look like?
1: The end stage of my addiction, I was sitting in my condo. I had a $10 and an air mattress, and I was spraying roach spray around the door so nobody would smell what I was smoking. (laughs) And that was what my island looked like at the end. Little by little, that island became smaller and smaller and more and more isolated until one day I just couldn't live there anymore. Now, I had no idea what to do about that. None. Fortunately, I had a friend who knocked on the door of that island and came in and said, "Jean, you have got to come to a meeting with me. You cannot keep living this way. And she dragged me to a meeting. I sat in that room, listened to other people who had had the exact same experience I had, even though they came to it from a lot of different directions, but who had ended up in the same place I had. And I knew I was home. There was a possibility of getting off that island. I had no idea how to do it. It took me a long time. It was a very slow and painstaking process. It started with going to meetings and listening and working the steps. And then it branched out into getting therapy. I went to therapy three times a week for three years.
2: Wow.
1: You know, I described that therapy as what enabled me to build a boat so that I could leave that island. You know, that woman, she sort of re- parented me i guess and gave me unconditional love which i had never experienced before we all need that unconditional love the first time i got it was from my higher power that there was this loving power that wanted good for me and aa led me to to her and she led me to other human beings so that's how i got off that island
2: so feeling all your feelings without being able to escape into drugs, how did you yes. not get discouraged, and how were you able to stay clean and push forward?
1: Oh, I did get discouraged. I got discouraged multiple times. This was a struggle for my life, and there were many times when I wanted to just give it up. What kept me going was the miracle of the program. I hate to sound like a walking bumper sticker, <laughs> but I mean, that's what did it. Easy does it. One day at a time, let go and let God, admitting my powerlessness, taking my own inventory. I mean, I used all of the tools of the program to stay alive. And I
2: stayed alive long enough to get the miracle. Lots of people who experience difficult hardships like you have, but they struggle with being happy. Do you think that letting go is the same as saying what happened was okay?
1: I don't think it's about letting go. Letting go for me is about control, about not trying to control the things around me. Acceptance is about the past. Acceptance is what has given me the ability to move forward. I have to accept that what happened to me as a child was what it was. And when I finally came to just accept the reality of my life, of what happened, then I began to be able to move forward to change myself. I was no longer a victim. Acceptance doesn't deny what happened. It doesn't dismiss what happened. It doesn't minimize what happened. It doesn't say what happened was meant to be It just says it is what it is. And what am I going to do
2: to make my life different today? You said that happiness only requires a willingness to see beyond the prison within each of us. What exactly did you mean by that?
1: Willingness comes from hope. And hope is something that we can give to each other, that we have to give to each other. To your question, I think that if we can give each other hope, any one of us can first survive and
2: then next step, begin to flourish. How do you give hope to your friends and family? Some of it is
1: my natural ebullience, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think it's what helped me truly flourish in recovery because truthfully, Molly, I have two siblings who did not survive that childhood. They both were horribly, horribly damaged from it and were never able to make human connections in their lifetimes. One has since passed. The other one is still an isolated, depressed, sad person who is living on an island. Maybe it's because I'm a Sagittarius. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's in the stars. But I have a natural optimism that I think saw me through, even as a child, in the midst of all of this insanity that I lived in, I was thinking about being an astronaut. I was thinking about climbing the top of Mount Kilimanjaro. I was thinking about doing incredible things and having incredible adventures. So I have uh, that nature to draw upon, and I'm eternally grateful for that.
2: You clearly practice happiness as an action, and you said it's a decision you make multiple times a day. Mm -hmm. Can you give me an example of when you choose happiness, what that looks like in your day?
1: We went out to dinner last night with some people who, it was a little bit of an obligation. They're not my favorite people in the world. They're not especially interesting or in tune with the kinds of things that I'm in tune with but they're kind and they're gentle people and they wanted us to join them for dinner. Now, I could have gone to that dinner with a resentment. Why do I have to give up my time where I could be walking on the beach or writing poetry or watching TV or zillion things that I love to do? I could have walked in there with a resentment about having to give that up. Instead, on the way over, I made a decision that I was going to enjoy this dinner, that I was going to ask questions and find out about who they were and share about myself authentically. And I also asked for some guidance from my higher power, which I do very frequently in the course of the day, about what it was that I was supposed to do. So things came out of my mouth at that dinner that kind of surprised me. (laughs) But I ended up having a good time and enjoying it and being happy. And it's because I made a decision to do that. And I think we all get those decisions a thousand times a day. Are we gonna be upset that it's raining on our barbecue or are we gonna laugh? We make those decisions a, a hundred times a day. I don't like the consequences of unhappiness. I don't like how unhappiness makes me feel. I don't like what unhappiness does to my relationships with other people. So I choose to do it different.
2: You have had tons of, quote, outside world success. You were a nurse, a hospital planner, a nonprofit executive, and a city manager of not a particularly small town. Mm -hmm. You said these jobs, they didn't nurture your soul. They didn't lead to inward success. What was the inward success that you felt was lacking?
1: You know, I always think of Marilyn Monroe's line. Not to compare myself to Marilyn Monroe. (laughs) No, please do. (laughs) But She had a line that has stuck with me for, for many years. She was being interviewed. And they said, well, what do you want, Marilyn? You know, what do you want out of your life? And she said, I just want to be happy. What struck me about that line was, here was a woman who was stunningly beautiful adored, enormously successful. She was at the height of her fame, tons of money, and she was still seeking happiness. She had still not found happiness. I thought about that line many times in the course of my life because I would come home from these dinners where I'd get some award or people praising me or a television interview or... I mean, I had all that external success, but yet I would come home and still feel that something was missing. What I have discovered in the course of my life was that what was missing was real authenticity. Even though I was off my island and a participant in the world and was doing very good things that were very helpful to a lot of people, I still had not truly tapped the authentic interior of myself and figured out how to express that. There was a still small voice in me that needed to be spoken. That's what I've been working on uh, these last years of my life. And I have discovered my authentic voice. I write poetry all day and all night, and it's making me so happy, Molly. It really
2: is. So you told me this story about how many, many years ago, you were forced to make a choice to either hide your sexuality or identify as a lesbian. And by choosing to live your truth, you knew it had the likely cost of never having an extended family. But then many years later, in a lucky twist of fate, you met a woman later in life who had children and now you have four grandchildren. This is just a huge part of your happiness. You feel over-the-moon lucky to have the gift of extended family as a lesbian in your generation. What other tough choices are you making today as a result of seeing that you chose to stay true to yourself at an extreme cost, but ultimately ended up getting everything you wanted? How does that empower you today?
1: When you do choose to stay true to yourself,
2: It allows the doors to my unique
1: life to open. What does Mary Oliver call it? What are you going to do with your one wild and unique life? By having the courage to make the the decision to be authentic, that's what opens the doors. I quit working, what, nine or ten years now, but it's taken me a while to get to this place where I'm expressing my authentic self in ways that I feel are skillful. I think more more will be revealed on them in terms of my life. I see clearly that for so many people they end that part of their lives where they're you know productive in the world, and essentially they feel like their lives are over and kind of go golfing and that's about it. But for me, in some ways, I feel like my my life is really just begun. And having grandchildren, which has been just one of the greatest gifts of my life, I see them developing and Mm -hmm. struggling to find their authentic selves. And I think, well, I didn't get a chance to do that as a young child. I didn't get a chance to do that as an adult because I was busy surviving and then recovering and then thriving. But now I do have the chance to do that. And so, you know, I'm kind of doing it with them. (laughs) We're both newborn spirits. And that to me feels just wonderful. Just wonderful. I can't wait to see what's revealed in their lives as well as in mine.
2: Well, we're at the last part of the interview where we ask the silly but equally important questions.
1: (laughs) Okay. Okay.
2: What is your favorite flower? Gardenia. Ooh. And I just
1: wrote a poem about it.
2: Really? Yes. Yeah. Would you like me
1: to read it? I would love that. Really? Okay. Yeah, of course. Yeah. It's called Gardenia. You pressed it to me like a secret handshake. We were spies living incognito in a land of strangers. A flower, gardenia, radiating such warmth that I could feel your sleep within. You were what, 12? Too grown to be seen by your friends slipping an old woman a flower. But that's what you did as you passed, silent, without missing a step. The handoff was perfect, as love sometimes is. I tucked it in the pocket of my shirt. Young, old, what does it matter when the gardenias are ready to be picked? When two souls with a secret pass each other on the street?
2: I love it. I had no idea for the record that that was your favorite flower or that you had just written that poem. And that is literally perfect. Thank you. If clouds were edible, what would they taste like? Teramisu. Ooh, yeah. (laughs) Definitely agree. Yep. That was a right or wrong question and you got it right. Good work. (laughs) All right. Last one. The smell of clean laundry. Or freshly baked cookies? Clean
1: laundry. Mm. Yes, indeed. (laughs) Well,
2: Jean, Uh, thank you so much for joining me on Happy Hunters. Your ability to persevere, accept, and express your gratitude is genuinely inspiring. Thank you.
1: Oh, thanks, Molly. Thanks Thanks for inviting me. I really
2: appreciate it. As a recovering alcoholic, I relate so deeply to Jean's journey but I know that difficult experiences and unfair situations are not limited to just addicts and alcoholics. Have you ever considered accepting your past in an effort to move forward in happiness? Do you believe that accepting unfair situations is the same as saying it's okay? How do you choose happiness each day? Head over to Happy Hunter's podcast discussion group on Facebook to share your experiences, connect with others, inspire, and empower.
0: Thank you so much for listening today. We hope you enjoyed this episode and have found a little bit of inspiration to accompany you on your happiness journey. We are a brand new podcast and could use your help so others can find the show. Please subscribe, leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you are listening. Tune in for new episodes every Tuesday. You can also support the show by supporting our sponsors. If you know a happy someone who we should interview, head to iconoclasticwellness.com slash happyhunters to nominate them or yourself. Find us over on Instagram at Molly and Jonathan and subscribe to our YouTube channel, Our Tiny Mess, to stay up to date on our RV adventures. And we'll see you next week.